Welcome to the Comics Corner, everybody. I am John. I am your host slash guest for this evening. Uh, today we have with us, um, as almost always, the illustrious Matthew Klein. Hello, dear listeners. Wonderful to be back here on the corner with my favorite host of the most, John Petrie. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. I am doing well. I'm also going to, now that you've said that, immediately after we finish recording this, I'm going to listen to some Ethel Merman and yes. run around my apartment singing The Hostess with the Mostess on the Ball. Um, this was if the you goal. Do, yes. And if you are a comics listener and you don't get that joke, uh, ask around because there's probably a comics listener who loves musical theater and will be able to explain that to you. Uh, <laughs> also here, we have one of our favorite guests who's always with us in spirit, but now he's with us both physically and in spirit, the fabulous perfection that is known as Josh Wilson. Hi. How <laughs> fabulous perfection. Wow, yeah, that's a that's a hell of an intro. That's quite a moniker you I can know, bestowed I, upon Josh. I won't use it, but because <laughs> I you know, don't I'm, believe in it, but <laughs> I'm hoping um, one day I'll have enough money. Maybe I'll win Lotto or something like that. And once mm -hmm. I do, I'll get T-shirts made for everybody who appears on Comics Corner with all of the things that I've introduced them as. If you win the lottery, we're doing mugs. I oh okay, we can do mugs as well. I feel I'm like so I happy. feel like mugs would be good. Like real good. Like I'm always everybody in the Comics Corner is always sipping a beverage of some variety, and I just feel like a mug with a catchphrase on it is so good for the Zoom call. That would be excellent. I will totally do that. And Matthew, I promise, if I win Lotto. I will take you to McDonald's and you can even supersize your Happy Meal. I would love to, but they don't allow supersize anymore since the Supersize Me documentary. Supersize is gone, but it's very much like you to offer me an upgrade of something that no longer exists. So I appreciate the thought. Well, you're very welcome. And this will also show you how tuned I am in to pop culture, which is why uh, the Comics Corner discussion tonight will be led by Mr. Matthew Klein. Matthew, would you like to tell us what you chose, why you chose it, and give us a little introduction? Yes, so uh, this read today is going to be about Hawkeye, uh, My Life as a Weapon, uh, written by uh, best-selling author Matt Fraction and by uh, art by two of the industry's most respected artists, uh, David Aja and Javier Pulido. Um, why are we doing it? Blatantly because Hawkeye has its finale uh, coming up as we record this, and we thought if there was ever a time to review this book, which is wildly popular and is considered to be one of the game-changing titles in Marvel Comics uh, of the last decade, now would be the time to give it a go. And so here we are today. Now, uh, were you, this came out, this series started in looking at my notes here, August of 2012. Um, for those of you, let's set the scene a little bit because context is king, as they say. So August 2012, what had just happened that summer? Josh, John, can you, can you think of some big Marvel thing that happened in the summer of 2012? Is that the, that's not the original Avengers movie. Is that Ultron? It, no, you are correct. The first Avengers film, the first big one that united all the characters directed by Joss Whedon came out in May 
of was 2012. I thought it was far later than that, or far earlier than that. I thought it was like 2008, but I guess that's probably Iron Man 1 is 2008. That's Iron Man. Yep. Yeah, Iron Man was 2008. And what's fascinating is after Iron Man came out in theaters, Matt Fraction took over writing for the Iron Man character and went on to do one of the best-selling and most fan-beloved to-this-day runs of that character of all time. Um, and that's one of the ways in which he made his name at Marvel was on that series. And he wrote it for, I think, about over 50 issues. And he was still writing it when this Hawkeye series came out four years later. Um, so uh, obviously there's a little bit of a cash uh, grab here from the publishing side, which is you have a character who's going to be spotlighted in the film, which ended up earning over a billion dollars worldwide, exceeding all expectations, absolutely blowing the mind off of uh, fans everywhere. And they were like, who's this Hawkeye? Um, Hawkeye, uh, Clint Barton debuted in Tales of Suspense number 57 in September of 1964. John, do you recall uh, what side of the conflict he was on back uh, when he first debuted? Yes, well, Hawkeye was a bad guy originally who yep. um, went up against Iron Man. Um, and then actually when he joined the Avengers uh, after uh, in Avengers number 16, um, he, Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch replaced Iron Man, Thor, uh, Giant Man, and uh, yeah. Um, and the Wasp, excuse me. Oh my gosh, how could I forget the Wasp? What is wrong with me? Um, with two other former villains in Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch. And they began a very beloved run where they were known as Cap's Kooky Quartet, um, which brings a whole other host of issues, but that's okay. We'll deal with that in another time. <laughs> it was the 60s, man. It was the 60s in comics. Um, but no, and then what's fascinating too is watching this character sort of evolve over the years because he became known as he was sort of a dick he was sort of like the resident grumpy pants on the team and he had a big feud with captain america over like team leaderships and he eventually led an offshoot called the west coast avengers for several years um but he was always sort of a b character if that i mean he was never a front and center guy but here he is being showcased in the biggest entertainment venture of Marvel ever in the Avengers film. And so they're like, all right, let's put something together. Um, also co-starring in the series is Kate Bishop, who I'm sure listeners who are watching the series uh, recognize played by Haley Steinwell. Uh, Kate Bishop, just for a little bit of knowledge, debuted in Young Avengers number one, published in April 2005, created by Jim Chung and Alan Heinberg. Now, one thing to note about the series before we dive into the narrative and did we like did we not like what did we like what do we not like um a little bit more context so hawkeye number one published august 2012 as we said it debuted as the 42nd best-selling comic of that month uh selling approximately 42,000 copies in its first printing what isn't reported is that it actually went to five printings which is highly unusual for a marvel comic to this day, currently, Marvel will generally do a second print, maybe a third print for a best-selling issue. Uh, the second issue in this series also went to five printings. Again, very, very, very unusual, um, which talks about how much it resonated with the audience reading comics at that point in time. 
some of the big events happening in comics at that point, there was a massive crossover. John, I'm sure you'll remember this from when we were working in the shop. Avengers versus X-Men uh, was running at that point in time, which is not widely regarded as one of the best events in the history of Marvel Comics. Um, a few months prior to that, there had been a huge Asgardian event called Fear Itself, which Matt Fraction was one of the big architects as a story editor on. Um, and on the DC front, DC was about a year into their New 52 uh, uh, endeavor where they completely relaunched their entire timeline across every single title. So the idea of something fresh in the comics world was very much purveying. DC had seen a massive, massive sales bump. You were getting a huge crossover audience was the hope with the Avengers film. And as such, a character like Clint Barton got his day in the sun with this series. Hawkeye, uh, the story arc we're talking about again, is my life as a weapon. Um, this got tremendous reviews from the comics uh, journalist uh, community. I'm going to read a quote from one, and John, you will smile when I tell you why. Um, the indie feeling about this first issue is evident even before the book begins with a casual and super fun introduction on the first page. The non-traditional art and unusual writing style only reinforce the feeling that this book is something unique. By the end of the issue, readers will be hard-pressed not to feel like this is an indie book masquerading as a big two comic that was written for comic book resources, which to this day is still considered one of the top um, websites out there dedicated to the comics industry, written by Kelly Thompson. Kelly Thompson, who has gone on, who is currently writing the Hawkeye series for Marvel in 2021 that features Kate Bishop and has had a very lengthy and much popular uh, affiliation with these characters. So let's sort of dive in, shall we? Um, this book opens essentially with Clint Barton as Clint Barton, not so much as Hawkeye. And a lot, of, there's a repeated line throughout this series, which is, this looks bad. It's almost the mantra of this entire series. This looks bad. So John, what was your first impression reading this book again here? Did it look bad? Did it look good? So I read this book, not when it was coming out in single issues. I read it uh, as a trade. Um, so um, I remember really loving the art style. I remember really loving the, um, the, the frankly indie feel to it. It was something that was, was new. Um, but I had also read The Ultimates, um, which is really what the Avengers movie was based on. And this sort, I felt with the Hawkeye character, what what Matt Fraction was trying to do was kind of make an amalgamation of Hawkeye from the main universe, Hawkeye from the ultimate universe, and the movie Hawkeye. Um, whether or not he succeeded, we shall learn as we continue to discuss. I think that's a very fair point. You know, one of the things about a character that's not very popular for a lot of years is that when creators come on for a fresh jumping on point like this series is, is you kind of get a little bit more leeway to take big swings at the characterization. 
Um, and it definitely feels like Fraction was trying to reintroduce who Clint Barton is and more so than I would argue who Hawkeye is. This is a story so much not about an Avenger, but about sort of a schlub on his off days of being a hero. Um, at least that seems to be the pitch. Josh, did you sort of pick up on something similar here? Did this feel like a superhero book to you? I okay. I'm I'm gonna give us our I'm gonna I'm gonna give us our promo clip here because I'm gonna warn you here, listeners, right now. I did not like this comic. Oh, um, did not like the book. All and right. my my reaction by the end of the first issue is, and I quote, "What is this John Wick bullshit?" Um, where. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> no, your, go for it. Go for it. This is great. I, the writing style, fine. The art, I was kind of indifferent to, um, but I, I thought it looked okay. I, I mean, I didn't think it was like bad. You know what I mean? Like people making comics for Marvel don't do bad art. Um, That's not true. John uh, and I will give you many examples. Oh of no! That, but go. Uh, but I was not the biggest. I just found the character of Clint Barton to be not enjoyable at all. And not in the way of like, oh, I dislike you, but I still enjoy seeing what's going to happen. I'm like, dude, I don't care what happens to you. I was like, oh, this is bad. I was like, yeah, it is. And I was like, why, why are you here? Like, I was like, I feel like you, you walked into a room where you knew exactly what was going to happen. And they're like, oh, look, this is bad. And you're like, Yeah. Right. Correct. You, you, yeah. I, this whole, uh, this arc for me, I was just underwhelmed with it. Uh, with it being like, cool action, cool action. And then like, we're gonna, we're gonna do the bang, 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 bang. And he's like, oh my God, how did I get here? I'm just a normal dude. Uh, look at me. I'm the Avenger that everybody thinks I'm an Avenger, but I'm not an Avenger. He says that like 45 times. I'm not an Avenger. Um, I'm like, but you are. And also, if you aren't an Avenger, why are you trying to punch Wilson Fisk in the face? Um, like, that's my that's uh, my my impression. But the the first impression of the first issue, at least, was just like. Why does this read like a half-rate John Wick? I'm gonna get so much hate. Go, go find me on Instagram. I dare you. No, no, that's great. <laughs> drive, drive my engagement up. I make, I don't post. Listen, DM me. Not Do every, it. not every comic is for every person. That's okay. And this is, and this is written with a very, this is written with a different audience than mine than what most Marvel comics had been written with at the time. Right. right? It's, it's very much a different, honestly, it's written at the time it came out, it was a style you did not see in superheroes. It was not a style that you saw in mainstream action films at that point. Right. So it's, it's an interesting lens to go back and look through on some level, right? Right. It's, it's almost, I will give no, them, no, no, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, uh, no. And so it, it's sort of like, for me, it's kind of like if, if I, cause I've never seen the movie Halloween before. Right. Okay. I'm going to go back and watch Halloween and I'm going to go, wow, every trope in here I've seen a million times. Right. Right. And it, it's one of those things, even though it was so game changing when it came out. 
Right. So it's it's an interesting lens to go through, and and it's a hard thing to do with entertainment, where what feels current and exciting in a certain moment in time, a decade later, really may not. Right. And that's that's fascinating. It's to me. So it's, I think str- it's very interesting where you're coming from with that sort of mentality. It's strange to me because like on that same note, like into uh, preface, because I'm sure what if we get a comment about it, it will be John Wick came out in 2014. This is true. Uh, sure. and like, I know I was like, but they did it better. Um, well, it's also a different medium, but yes. entire entirely, <laughs> but it's the same. It feels like the same thought almost to me. Um, but I think about it, like, especially like, for example, with Marvel, I th- still like, I watched the first Iron Man movie again a couple weeks ago, just cause mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, I was, it was the, does it hold up to the, right. You know, because it was a it was a game changer in movie land. Like movies like that were not viable like that. Like they were always viable. Like you'll turn a profit on a superhero movie. Like that happened a lot, but not quite like nowadays. It's like the only movie you can make that will be profitable is a superhero movie. Um, like to be not to be massively popular and appeal to the world. It's not you're not a appealing to geeks anymore you just make a superhero movie and everybody watches it so i was like oh well the you first certainly one... don't make a musical that's for sure no. this no, year has so... proven that <sighs> makes me so sad it does so it, it's yeah that's a, it's good no but, to, story's good but too, to your point but... to your point there it's it's very true right now in film superhero films are now it that is where you go to massively get to get people to go to a right. theater in droves it has to be a tentpole film that is superheroes or a longstanding um, uh, was it franchise of right. some kind. Like the the indie film, the art house film is under real real siege as far as ticket sales yeah. go. Yeah, and and so their their calculation for what is profitable and not profitable has to be completely different, and thus, that's why you see most of them go to streaming right away. But to Uh continue my thought was, I watched the first Iron Man movie a couple weeks ago. It was great. It was still great. Like, Mm -hmm. regardless of the time that it came from, it tells such an interesting story. And the CGI, nowhere near as good as, you know, the Endgame Part 2. But, like... It's one of those things to me where I'm like, it's it's not, I don't know if it's necessarily timeless. It's not been around long enough to be like, oh, this is a timeless story. I mean, we'll get there eventually. I mean, but, um, I mean, it's over 10 years old. That's wild. Uh, what, Iron Man? Iron Man 1 is over 10 years Iron old. Iron Man 1 is about 16 years old? Yeah, that's no, why. Uh, no, 14. 14? Yeah, 2008. 14. Yeah. Sorry, uh, I'm thinking Batman Begins. Batman Begins was 2005. 2005. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. And like, it holds up so well. And I'm wondering, like, now that you've brought this up, like, to me, this just doesn't hold up. Like, it feels very like zeitgeisty, if that makes sense. They were like, this is what sells a superhero. Not like you imagine it. Um, and I think you're right on there. I think John, you, you and I were both sort of working in a shop and you're a long time comics reader as well right and you're very familiar with stuff all the way back to the 60s you're just very well read i'm not saying you're that old but that was um, a very polite way of calling me agent thank you you're hey, not john. hey john you're old <laughs> <laughs> you're you're you're, uh, you're 
older than us, but it'll no. be this Batman. Um. <laughs> but but it is. I I do wonder. There's. It's an interesting thing that Josh is bringing up too, because I would argue that it's actually harder in for comics. If you are a new comics reader today, and you were to go back and read Tales of Suspense fifty seven would you actually like it unless you were a diehard comics fan if you were just a casual reader because it was written for a very different audience and in a very different style with very different artwork and the like in a very different production is it harder in comics to revisit older books um and still sort of appreciate well, do they still hold up in the way that josh is talking about film does in that sense? No, they don't. But I'm not sure that film does either in the same way that we're looking at it because we really shouldn't be comparing um, Iron Man to this 2012 Hawkeye to Tales of Suspense 57. A better correlation would be something more like uh, comparing from a film perspective, a better way would be comparing, say, the current Avengers movie to... Uh, the original Dracula, or even to Plan 9 from Outer Space, because there's a very different thing. Now, Plan 9 from Outer Space might not be the best comparison, because that kind of I has thought, a I cult. teed you up. I thought you were going to say West Side Story now to West Side Story 1961. No, but I want to get to something, because you're talking about zeitgeist moments that don't necessarily <laughs> hang up, hang through, hang, stand up. That's the word I'm looking for. I don't know why I thought hang up. But if you look at, because, uh, and just like that, the new version of Sex and the City came out. If you go back and watch the original Sex and the City, they're not particularly, it's a zeitgeist moment. It does not, <laughs> it does not watch well. Let's just say no. that. There's, no. it, it's problematic for a number of reasons, um, but still it was, uh, it was groundbreaking. There are a couple of things that I'm going to highly disagree with you, Matthew, which is um, I would never say that Hawkeye wasn't popular for a couple of reasons. This is Hawkeye's fourth series, in addition to which he actually was the anchor character for the Avengers Spotlight book. Um, but he's also one of the Avengers, I think maybe the only Avenger who has been in more issues than Hawkeye is either the Wasp or maybe the Scarlet Witch. So he's been in a lot of books. So I don't know that I wouldn't say that he wasn't popular. Uh, I would say maybe he didn't have his own solo series. And if you're really comparing, comparing the Avengers to the Justice League is an unfair comparison. And here's why. I agree. Everyone, almost everyone, actually everyone in the Justice League if you look at the Justice League movie, was anchoring a solo series. Not everybody in the Avengers was anchoring a solo series at any point, even if you look at that comics um, themselves. True. I think the only one who didn't have a solo series of the original Justice League members was Martian Manhunter, and he had been in a lot of stuff and, again, been an anchor character in some of the anthology books. Um, but if you look at um, when the Avengers swapped over in number 16, like we talked about earlier, the only person who had their own book in that was Cap. And that was kind of the, the model that they went with. It was a couple of B and C list characters 
or, and then a couple of A-list characters. But it was really where to put people who didn't necessarily have their own books. Um, I think the actual question for this Hawkeye series mm -hmm. is, I'm not sure of the editorial mandate for it. I don't know if they said to him, appeal to readers, appeal to new readers, appeal to old readers, or appeal to people who watched the movie, because it almost doesn't fit in any of those categories, because you have, um, you know, for old school fans, it's almost a completely different character. For fans of the movie, he's portrayed as much more of the Ultimates character, this very sort of cold, calculating, really super competent, almost invincible, hand-to-hand -hand human fighter. Um, and so that's where I, that's, I feel like this book has a little bit of an identity crisis. Inside comic joke there, I'm winking for anyone who I, gets I, that. I got, I got that, thank you. There you go. Um, the other thing that I think um, is fascinating is because I don't know if you remember this, you might've been working part-time. Were you working full-time when this book came out? I was at least part-time. I think I was part-time. Okay, book. here's the thing. This book only became popular because everybody was looking for this book. Yeah. Because it had sold out. It wasn't that everybody wanted this book. It was no. all of a sudden people were coming in and going, oh, I can't find this book. And I heard it was really good. And it's going for, you know, 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 bucks on eBay or at Amazon. So that's why it was reprinted so much. It wasn't so much that everybody was reading this book. It was that there became an almost market demand for it, not because it was super popular, but because people just wanted it because they, like Afterlife with Archie did the same thing. It wasn't that everybody was reading it. It was that a bunch of people in the know were reading it and then everybody kind of came afterwards, if that makes sense. I'm gonna push back a little bit on that. Of course um, you are. <laughs> I, I will push back a little bit on that because I recall selling this book to people who are not Wednesday Warriors. I recall selling this book to casual fans. I recall selling this book to indie comic fans. I recall selling this book to women and to a younger demographic than was getting a lot of subscription pull boxes at the time in our store. Like this is this is a book that that did break some boundaries and continues to be a best-selling series for Marvel when it comes to collected editions. So I I I totally hear you that maybe that first printing. But yeah, but here's the question. When you but, were selling it, were you selling the first printing? No, you weren't. You were selling second, third, fourth, and the trade. Yes, and I would argue that's because up front, there was not much demand. I totally agree with that. It was not a popular book because of the, the demand was there. It was a word of mouth book. It was a book that grew in popularity issue by issue on some level and grew in buzz issue by issue. And that's, that's an interesting thing. Like there were very low expectations for this series. There were very low expectations for Hawkeye in general. But this, what makes this so interesting is this became something that actually kind of caught fire for a little while there and continues to be a bestseller in, in trade paperback form. 
Um, yeah, absolutely. My, I guess my point was more when you're talking about the fifth printings on the first and the second book, it wasn't because everybody was going for this book. It was because their create, there was a secondary market push for it. Um, but people were, by the issue two and three coming out, more and more people were looking to catch up though. I do recall those customers who were coming in saying, I've heard about this, but I can't find it. Where is it? And those extra printings did allow people to catch up. So I don't know that the secondary market was there as much for the fourth and fifth printings as they were there for the first and second ones. I will say that. So that's that's my that's my pushback with you there. It reminds well, me of. Have... Oh, go ahead, Josh. Josh, jump in. Oh. Jump in, Josh. We, oh. Mommy and Daddy are fighting. It, go ahead. it reminds me. I think you're both right in a way because I'm thinking about like I don't know if you guys are because I'm uh, 12 years old. Um, I'm sorry. What are you guys aware of? Book talk, TikTok, TikTok for books. This is a yes, thing. of course. Yeah, well, John, you run sales, so I'm sure you've seen this phenomenon. So, Book Talk has this way of doing things. There's a handful of creators on TikTok who have significant numbers of followers and pretty good engagement on the For You page, which is the most important part of TikTok. And they will talk about a book they like, or like, hey, have you heard of this random book? And it's a niche book. Like, one book was like a an unsolved mystery book from 1942 or whatever it was. Like, and it will, within like two days, sell out, reprint will happen, sell out. It's this crazy secondary market thing where all of these people who would never read a... The trick with the the old mystery book, like this is a great example. This is a book that nobody would normally be interested in. If you were pitching it, like as a sales... as a Like I worked in a bookstore, like... You could not sell this to somebody. This mystery book was a mystery book that nobody had solved, and all of the pages were purposely printed out of order in the book. And while that sounds like cool, how do you sell that to somebody? How do you how do you convince your publisher to go forward with it? They'd be like, oh, that's neat. Um, but this girl on one of the people on TikTok took the book, cut the binding off, took all the pages, put them in order. And attempted to solve the mystery. And all of a sudden, that book, for the first time in its 100 years or, you know, 80 years it's been around, sold out. Gonzo. Like, the publisher was like, excuse me? Uh, we have to print that book again? So I think the secondary market is a very interesting place, especially, like, now. I think of it, like, in terms of nowadays where, like, one person with their phone can just be like, oh, yeah, um... I'm going to sell out this book now, basically. Um, Whereas in 2013, like, was not a thing. So it's really interesting in the way that this book is, or book, yes. I mean, it is a book. It's a comic book. uh, Now it is. It's a a graphic novel. It's it's trade paper. It's a book. Um, But um, it's interesting to me to see how... I think John, I agree with John mostly in that this was just not written to any market that I can like fully identify. Like it just sort of, and I appreciate it in a certain way. It just sort of is like, I agree with you. And I think that I, I would, I'm just talking out of my ass here, but it feels like they literally just said to Mad Fraction, David Aja, 
whatever you want to do, just write your version of it. Just right. write how write the character how you want to write the character. Don't worry about anything. We need a Hawkeye else. comic. We needed a Hawkeye comic yesterday. Yeah. Well, and it, it very much feels like because Matt Fraction made his bones writing genre independent comics, Casanova and, and other series like that. He had done, you know, runs on Uncanny X-Men. He, as I said earlier in 2008 and 9 and through 12, he to this day is considered one of the best Iron Man writers of all time. He reinvented a character called the Immortal Iron Fist. Uh, with Ed Brubaker and David Aja uh, in about 2007, I want to say. It was somewhere around there. So Fraction had a reputation for sort of reinventing and reinvigorating uh, characters who had sort of lost steam in a lot of ways. And it feels like they, they went to their Rainmaker, for lack of a better term, and said, here's another one for you. Go and do whatever you want with them. Right. Um, but this feels much more closer to his independent sensibilities than it does to his his Iron Man or his X-Men or Thor runs that he had done before this. Because he'd been building up a track record of major Marvel characters. Um, and then here he sort of gets to do his own more like fraction-y, stylized, you know, more smaller uh, stake story as a character study, right. which is which is the approach. Um, one of the things that I remember being much talked about is that this was a book about a guy in Brooklyn dealing with the bro, bro tracksuit mafia. And, you know, there's a lot of caricatures and, and a lot of, you right. know, sort of heightened reality going on, but still meant to to sort of reflect some of like, what do you do in your off hours as an Avenger, right? That seemed to be the pitch there. Um, so the I answer is get oh, thrown out of a bunch of windows. Yeah. Um, they'll get kidnapped by S.H.I.E.L.D. and and go to billion dollar auctions uh, for, for stuff like that. You're still doing that. Um, so I have I an, in was, oh, sorry. No, I no, so it, it feels like that was, that was the approach, right? Yeah. Um, but go ahead, Josh. So jump, jump in, please. I have an interesting question that I think, uh, uh, listeners, I am here to stir the pot, uh, and it. I wonder, as our two our two writers, I have an interesting scenario to play out and see what you think, both of you. Sure. So, if you have a character or characters that achieve superstardom like the Avengers did in pop culture, like within the world of pop culture, where you can, within at least America and Western Europe, you could not throw a stone without somebody being like, oh yeah, I know who Iron Man is, it's not a big deal. Even like the Scarlet Witch, like, be like, oh yeah, I am at least loosely aware of who that person is. And everybody has this, you've created like a monolith, like the MCU has made of, this is who these characters are. Mm-hmm. how do you deal with writing a character that is not them? Like, how do you explain to the masses of people who are not Wednesday warriors and understand that characters can be interpreted differently um, throughout comic series? Is it now, like, if you're told, like, if your publisher rang you up, or your manager rang you up and was like, we need a we need an Iron Man comic, for instance. Mm-hmm. How what would you guys think about writing something that's not Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man interpretation? Like, how do you do that to still appease somebody? Even if that somebody is just yourself. 
Go ahead, John. I'll, I'll let you go to this one first. Wow. Okay. Um, I've been talking so... a lot the last few minutes, so I want to give you, it's, it's your time to shine. He's got to get, he's got to get some water. There you go. Um, so I think there's a couple of things to that. I think, first of all, if you're looking at a character that is so well known, um, a Captain America, an Iron Man, a Thor, there are core tenets to that character that you maybe look at, okay, this person's been in this situation, but maybe not this situation. Um, you know, the movie characters are not always, do not always adhere to what the comic characters do. Um, so I think when you're look, I, I would assume, I do not write monthly comics. I have no aspirations to write monthly comics. Not my thing. I, I applaud and I appreciate, but I can't, you know, cannot do. But I, I would assume, you know, if someone came to me and was like, okay, John, you can write Wanda. How would I approach it? I right. would say, okay, here's, here's all of these source materials. What is, what are the consistent character traits? What are the consistent through lines? What are the consistent story through lines? What are the consistent emotional through lines? And then you build something from there. But I would, for example, probably not put Wanda in a specific um, superhero situation. I would either place her heavily into the world of magic, or I would, um, you know, place her heavily in some other realm to see how she reacts in that in that realm. Um, and one thing I, I do want to—I'm going to come back to this question, but I want to yeah. something very. I I want to be very specific. I I really like Mac Fraction's writing, and I loved Immortal Iron Fist, and I like Hawkeye. I think there's a couple of things. One, it reads much better as a trade than it did as a monthly series, partially because there were a lot of breaks there. Um, for a, a variety of reasons, I'm sure I don't know them. I you know, can't call up Matt Fraction and say, yo, what's up? Um, and... Oh, that was, it was David Aja. And, and that's why Aja is only the artist on the first three issues of this trade. And then Javier well, he, takes he over. Comes back, but there, he does, there were- but they, they there, had to, he, he was having trouble keeping up- There, there were a variety of reasons yeah. on that. Um, and then the, um, the second thing that I want to say is I think this book is actually a really good book to give to someone who's a fan of the, of superhero movies and not necessarily a Wednesday warrior or someone who really reads Hawkeye um, because I think there are so many character inconsistencies between sort of old school and new school Hawkeye um, that I don't necessarily, I think there were a lot of people, myself included, who were like, this is a really good book. I love this style. It's new and it's fresh and it's exciting. And I'm reading it because I'm interested in this character, but I'm not necessarily in my brain going to go, this is, you know, the definitive Hawkeye, um, which I think is probably how someone would approach um, writing a character who is so ubiquitous. You want to say, okay, what story am I going to tell? I don't think anybody with the exception of maybe Alan Moore um, and Jonathan Franzen um, in the novel world would ever say, I'm going to write a definitive story. I don't think that's possible. Grant Morrison would do it. I think Grant Morrison's another one who would. Who would you do don't it. get to say what is definitive. Someone else, the audience gets to say what is definitive. Right. Absolutely. Um, 
So I think just kind of approaching it and saying, okay, what is a story that I am interested in reading? What is a story that I am, I want to see this character go through? And you sort of deal with it. I, I do think there's one big mistake that Fraction made in this book, but I will get to it after Matthew answers your question, Josh. Uh, I, I would have to, I, I think you and I are on a very similar page there, John. I think part of it is, uh, one, you have to go in with what you are a fan about the character of. Because um, you go in when you're, if you're pitching on a character that's that's got a, a history, um, you've got to go in first and foremost as somebody with some knowledge and admiration for something about the character. It's got to resonate with you something about them. Um, and then you've got to go in and say, what is an angle you don't see with this character? What makes it feel fresh? What story potential is there that hasn't been tread before? Um, and you see that all the time with characters like Captain America or Batman or Superman. Every new writer comes on and there's something they're trying to bring out, something that they're, they emotionally resonate to as a creator first and foremost. Um, and then from there, it's the, it's the publisher, it's the editorial's job to say, these are the parameters that we have around the story that you're telling that we need to hit. And then you work together from there and you mold it together in that sense. And so that's where your project as a, as a team, that's where you come into. Um, the pitch is just you. The pitch is just you, the writer, and generally the artist sometimes and saying, here's what I love about the character. Here's what I would love to see more from this character. And here's, here's the something new we're going to, we're going to build with this character. And from there, the publisher goes, they look at their wall and go, yep, that sort of fits in with what we're going here. This is what we see with the vision for this section of the universe. We can make it work. Editorial will then come back to you and go, okay, we can do it, but we need to be aware of this factor, this factor, this factor, because this is not a creator own book. You are playing in someone else's sandbox, right? right. You don't own this character. This, you have masters to serve, so to speak, who have wants and needs that you need to meet. Um, what, what helps with this character like Hawkeye at this point in time, there was no definitive version yet to John's point. Um, the character had been written with a lot of inconsistencies from his family history to his other personal history to his characterization. Hawkeye was sort of revamped to be who they needed to be at the time for the group dynamic, for the tone of the overall direction. And so what's fascinating is this story, this version of Clint Barton has become in the last decade, probably as close to the most definitive version as there is for this character. And it's one of the reasons why you see this Hawkeye show takes a lot of elements from this particular run. From right. the quippiness, the self-deprecating style, the I'm not a hero, I'm just a guy with a bow and arrow, to the relationship with Kate Bishop, being a mentor-mentee sort of, you know, approach, um, and that sort of buddy comedy aspect of it. This, this version that we're talking about today has sort of become the definitive version. And you now are seeing, to your point, John, and your point, Josh, as more appearances in film have happened in TV, 
that character has started to skew more and more and more like this version of Clint Barton, which is really fascinating. It didn't start that way, but it has evolved right. into this version, which is really interesting. You don't always see. Uh, so um, we have about 15-ish minutes remaining. Uh, I figure we should probably talk about the, the actual things. I'm sure, Matthew, you have other questions than me derailing about the philosophy of writing comics. No, I think it's great. I mean, for, for this, well, I mean, we already know you didn't like the book and you, you weren't a fan of the art and you're not oh, a fan okay. of the characterization. Yeah. Um, so so we, we kind of hit some of the big discussion no. points. At least, I, at, least I gave, at least I gave you things to jump off of after I was like, I don't like it. <laughs> Absolutely, which is totally fine. Um, John, where did you fall in terms of art style for this? Because one of the big things that were was discussed is David Asha's artwork particularly his panel layouts. David Ogden, yeah, more, I, I, more minimalistic, fewer lines, uh, sort of not a classical realism kind of comic artist. Yeah, I don't think that this book would have worked without a new style to it because it was a new way of writing Hawkeye. It was a new way of kind of approaching that character because it's not really a superhero book, um, which is another reason that I think people liked it. But I, I don't think that the art style... Um, I think the only two artists uh, that I can think of that really would have been able to pull this book off from beginning to end are Aja and Javier Polito, who are the two artists on the book. Absolutely. Um, uh, just because they look at things in this very weird and fresh and funky kind of way. Um, and it just, it, it works. I think almost everything that we've talked about on Comics Corner um, has worked um, because there was a, a, I don't necessarily want to say perfect, a synergistic relationship like between that. the writing and the art that gave a book a particular style, a particular feel to it. Uh, I agree. You know, it's, it's one of those things. I, I remember first reading this book and going, wow, this is not the sort of art style that I was familiar with in superhero comics. Um, from an aesthetic standpoint, I'm not a huge fan of, of David Asha, actually. I'm more of a fan of Javier Pulido, but I do really appreciate the, the, the types of, for lack of a better terms, camera shots that he chooses. I, I think they're really interesting. I think that he does a good job of keeping the pace of this book very much so. There are, to Josh's point, there, were a lot of, there are a lot of action sequences in this story. Um, for a for a guy bumming around with a bow and arrow, there are car chases and hover car chases, and uh, being thrown out of buildings and explosions. There is a lot of action scenes in this first story arc, and I think that his his type of storytelling is very is very high energy in that sense because it does keep the pace going really really well. Um, and I think that he and Fraction clearly have a very nice shorthand that there's a lot of trust there between them um, in that there are definitely some things Aja are doing with this book that I don't know he would feel as comfortable doing with someone that he didn't have that relationship with. Yeah, um, well, I also think both David Aja and Javier Polito are European artists. So yes. they grew up probably in a very, I'm assuming, on a very different style um, of approaching storytelling and frankly approaching film and approaching television as well. So I think that, um, that did, 
that really was the thing that kind of brought it together. Um, my, the only place that, um, that I was really kind of like looking at this and thinking, oh, I wish that had not even been brought up is there's that small moment in this where Clint says to Kate, I think we should be partners because I don't want to sleep with you. And I'm like, dude, she's barely 18. Please don't, you've been married. Why did you have to make have a it long weird? You made it so weird. And I understand it was almost like it was brought up because it was weird because there's a sort of expectation of a love interest when there's a male and a female character. Sure. And I get it. The relationship had never been played that way before. It's never been played that since. And, and it was just one of those things where I was like, I was mildly uncomfortable, not because I thought that there was going to be anything that happened, but I was like, why did we even need to bring it up? I'm I'm a bit with you on that. I I cringed at that line as well in yeah. this because it's and and for the rest this this series ran 22 issues before they they renumbered it and had a fresh creative team on there. Um, there has never been any thing between Clint Barton and Kate Bishop. That has always been sort of a mentor ment protege relationship. Um, I think it's exactly my guess, John, is it's exactly what you're talking about, which is that for whatever reason, they felt they needed one moment to sort of declare there will not be a personal relationship between these two. So if that's what you're expecting, right. don't stop right now. Um, it certainly wasn't subtle. Would you agree with that, Josh? Yeah, I was in the, I, I where all three of us are in the same boat of like, not to make it weird, but to make it weird, um, like why'd you why'd you have to go? That you could have just said nothing. We, I don't think anybody was really assuming anything. They may have been, and maybe I'm just not. I don't think that way. But I was. I literally was not in that headspace when I saw them together. Like it was just like, oh, it's a student teacher. You are my apprentice, or you saved my ass, sort of thing. I would be fascinated. Like that's that's a question. Like if I ever get a chance to meet Matt Fraction. I just have a conversation with him. I'll be like, so dude, was that you or was that editorial who felt like that needed to be? Well, and my thing is, is it doesn't sound in the same style almost of just like, it doesn't, it seems very like somebody else told him, you need to put this in there. I don't it care. Feels, I don't, and I care how, and they were like, I care explicitly how you put that in there. Uh, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah, it really, it really does. does. And, and, Throughout the rest of the series, you see Clint Barton make really horrible relationship choices. He does in, in during this arc. You see his his issues with um, with partners with romantic partners come up in later. Mockingbird makes an appearance. Black Widow makes an appearance, um, and they do address how he's absolutely a terrible romantic partner, right? And why that is, and they they do explore that through the course of the series. Um, it just, there was no reason. I, it, it felt very uncomfortable. I was like, mm, dude, you're like, you're like Here, twice her age. Here's this my other thing that made day. no sense to tie into plot wise, to talk about the plot for a second. The one thing really, really made me mad. It was the moment I decided, uh, spoiler alert, sound, light the beacons, sound, sound the sirens. In the, f it's the fifth issue. Maybe it's the fourth. I think it's the fifth. Um, this was the moment I decided I really actually didn't like this comic. Uh, was they're like, 
oh, let's jump him in a taxi. And they get his passport and all of his stuff. And he's like, but I've still got the card. And you're like, great. And then they kidnap him. And he's like, too bad I've got this card on me right now. You'll never find it because I hid it on my person. And you're like, what? I thought you were supposed to be smart. Like, it was just so strangely out of character compared to the other stuff that he did where he was just like, I guess it's not actually. Because the rest of the stuff, he's like, this is a bad situation that he walked right into. And like, he just literally just told them. And it was like, the second half of this book didn't need to happen. He was very clearly capable of taking care of himself and probably killing everybody in that room. And yet he was like, oh, don't worry. I have an unlimited like supply of cash up my ass literally right now um like can do you guys have thoughts on why why did that happen did they just need to print like 20 more pages and just for um impressionable youth up there um i am just gonna let you know for medical purposes in your rectum is not a good place to hide a credit card it's terrible Um, for if for no other reason than just medically so we should just get that out there yeah, right now yeah. big 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 warning on that don't do that like what? that's your psa for today yeah um, don't leave anything up there super long guys. stop it it's just not what you should be doing with your rectum that's get not some what help um, which which let's not shame anyone no about right. That type of play, let's you just do have it. Oh, no, no, no. And, and that's why yeah. I'm saying, I'm saying, like, for those of you who enjoy it, just understand there are safety precautions that you should take. And, and you need to be aware of, of what those are when you go into it. Yeah, um, not, I'm, I'm not interested in bottom chaining anybody. Anyways. No, not at all. Anyways. <laughs> I feel like that should be the promo. I'm not interested in bottom oh, chaining anybody. I've got both of our promo clips lined up now. <laughs> One of the things, Josh, I think that you make a, a good point is that he... And this is something that keeps being brought up by other characters, right? And this is something that's brought up by Kate in this arc, is that he's a better guy and a smarter guy than he gives himself credit for, and yet he seems to continually find a way to make everything harder and more screwed up for himself and everyone else around him. Always. Without fail. That is what he does. Clint Barton is a hot mess of a human being. He's like a chaos magnet. He has to destroy everything that could be going well. He's got to sabotage it. And so I think that, I think, I, I understand where you're coming from. I do think part of that was an attempt at sort of illustrating um, right. who that character is as a, as a quote unquote hot mess. Um, so that's, that's sort of where I was going with with that sort of stuff. Um, John, what about you? Where do you fall in sort of where Josh is at with the character, where I'm interpreting it? Oh, you're, you were muted, you're, John. You're, you're muted myself, kind, sorry. Sir. Just to make sure, I had a, uh, I had a siren a few minutes ago. Um, New York. <laughs> I think that this is actually, I, I would actually recommend this book um, and I would probably recommend it without sort of reservations or caveats. Um, but I also don't, I, I think just looking at this book, I'm like, this is not a book for everybody. And I think you sort of need to be clear that um, if you are coming into this book, like as a Hawkeye fan from the movies, there's better Hawkeye books out there for you. If you are coming in as a fan 
from an indie series and there's, uh, you know, you kind of want to, you want to explore superheroes. There's probably better and more iconic superhero books for you. But I think this is a really good book to read um, from a perspective of style and approach, um, both as a writer and as an artist. Um, and something that's really, really exciting to read. Um, I don't think that Clint often comes across as someone who you particularly fall in love with emotionally. I think there's a lot of stuff that gets in the way. Um, but I don't necessarily think that was what the book was going for. I agree with that, too. Um, I would also recommend this book. I have recommended this book. I think, John, you and I have both hand-sold this book when, when working in, in shops. Um, it's still, it, it had to go back to press recently um, and is on track to have to go back to press again in the next three, four months. So it continues to be a very popular um, series. This is, uh, I would definitely recommend this book. I, I agree with you, John. It's not a book for everybody. Um, I would not recommend for somebody, somebody looking to get a classic superhero story. This is not your jam. Um, this is not something if you have very specific art tastes, um, this is not going to be your jam. Um, what is fascinating is in the industry to see a lot of artists start to try to copy this style um, from a next crop of artists that came up after David Aja. Um, mm -hmm. And so the influence is definitely felt a decade later. Um, but I would, I would absolutely recommend this book. And I have recommended this book. And I would, I would continue to recommend this book. But I agree. It's, it's not a book for everybody. And to your point, Josh, earlier, it's not a book for everybody. I don't think this was ever designed to be a book for the masses. This is an indie book. This is a book with what they assumed would be more of a niche audience. Um, but I think they were going for a niche audience that wasn't reading superhero comics at that point. And there's a noble, there's a noble goal in that of trying to expand the audience a little bit. And you see some of the characters we've talked about on this show uh, I think about our vision episode um, as one of them, where you look at the Tom King um, series, The Vision, that was very much a do what you want to this character, right? And I, I, I applaud this series. This is an example of a book that got that series made, that got other series that allowed creators the freedom to take a character with an inconsistent history um, and do very fresh sort of takes on it that have created some very beloved works out there. And so I, I certainly appreciate from, from that historical context to this series and, and think it has its place there. Um, well, I think that that probably about wraps it up for today. Um, well, I thank you, dear listeners. Uh, if you want to hear what all the fighting was about, um, please definitely make it a point. Uh, you can go out and pick up Hawkeye, My Life as a Weapon. Um, it's written by Matt Fraction and, and uh, art by David Aja and Javier Pulido with Ma Matt Hollingsworth doing a wonderful job on the colors of this book. Colorists uh, never and letters never get the shout outs they deserve, uh, but definitely in this book especially, uh, a great job done there. Uh, absolutely worth the look. Uh, they actually have recently just come out with a new edition that actually has, I think it's the first 10 issues of this series. We talked about issues one through five today for a very good price point. Uh, they are gonna be at your local comic shop. Please go support your local comic shop. I believe it's Christmas Eve 
when this is going to be dropping to you. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed the finale. If you need a last second Christmas gift, go to your local comic shop. They could use the business time of the year and you don't have to worry about shipping concerns. Um, you can literally walk out of the store with your stocking stuffer and maybe it'll be Hawkeye, my life as a weapon. Uh, John, anything you want to plug coming up uh, before we say goodnight? Uh, I just want to say we will be back at the beginning of 2022 with a whole bunch of new um, new comics corners with uh, some of our favorite returning guests. Uh, this is, I believe, episode 24 of the Comics Corner. So the first episode of 2022 will be episode number 25. Uh, I can tell you we are planning it already and it is going to be big. Um, and uh, episode 26 will be even bigger. So uh, I'm just going to leave you with a little mystery. <laughs> Josh, anything you'd like to plug, sir? Anything big coming out, coming up, that you want to give the folks a teaser on? Uh, let's see. I'm working on a series called The Green Llama for some other folks. If you want to go hear me do some sound, make some sound effects for people, I don't know. It's where you find your, your podcasts. Um, yeah, that's all I got going on right now, other than all of, all, all of this nerd shit I'm doing with you guys. Um, and right. playing Dungeons and, we and Dragons. More, <laughs> we have more adventures of uh, Heidi and Nora coming your way live. Heidi and Nora don't know nerd things. Fresh episodes are coming shortly. We're going to be doing a sort of year review wrap up next week, I believe, um, with uh, the three of us, as well as Kelly Monroe Johnston, uh, our fourth musketeer, truly the uh, Porthos of our group. And then, uh, <laughs> thank you for the wrap up sign, Josh. <laughs> And then, uh, oh, he's going to kill me for that reference. It's going to be great, guys. He is, uh, he is. It was nice. It was nice doing business with you all. But <laughs> for right now, thank you for listening to another edition of Comics Corner. And whatever you do this holiday season, don't be cruel.